0: Friends, welcome back to part two in our series on developing first the desire and then the plan for a new way of life, a rule of life. And, and this is the ancient search. This, this is, none of this is new, folks. Like th- this has been the ache of the people of God down through the ages of the world. What, what's crazy is you go back to the Desert Fathers. And they thought the world was a shipwreck from which every person had to swim for their life, okay? And there were no cell phones. <laughs> there, was, there were no cars. There was no internet. Like, and they go, and the world was mad back then? They go, yeah, the world has always been mad. The world has always been soul-draining, soul-assaulting. So Blaine Eldridge, John Eldridge, back in the studio this week to talk about a, a way of life, developing a way of life. At, and I want to say particularly for this hour, we are living in a moment that is the time of transition between two ages, between the current age and the age to come. Oh it, man, so many rabbit trails. Dad. I know, I know. <laughs> you can't tease stuff <laughs> like that. Well, you just need to say that those periods of transition are very upsetting to the human soul. They're, they f- they have an enormous amount of instability and people feel the instability, but may- maybe what we most feel it in is just the desire for relief. And Blaine, back in August, we were in here with Jamie and we were talking about transition mm-hmm. and transition and labor. And she was telling the story of her uh, labor with her daughter, Ella, her first child. And she's in transition, which is super intense, and she's just yelling at everyone in the room, anyone who will listen, I just need a break. I just need a break. Okay, that's what it's like to be in, in a time of transition between one age and the next. And the pull for relief, the pull for compromise, the pull to just go, look, I, you know, maybe I'll get back to this later, is so strong. Maybe that's all folks know right now. I just want a break. And what we're saying is, is that to live in an hour like this, your current rule of life is not providing the nourishment and the ongoing engagement with God that you need. Okay, so let's talk about a new one then. Like, like exactly, yeah. Okay. So let me let me tell a little story. So people ask me often, so what do you do, John? Like, what do you do when you first get up in the morning? And I've I've come to realize that. That's not the place to begin. You should ask me what I do last in the evening. Because as the world of horse people know, there's an adage, you know, you will find a horse in the mental frame of mind that you put it away in. And so if you're working with a horse and you're frustrated and it doesn't go well or you've had a bad ride and the horse is upset and you're upset and you come back the next morning, guess what? that horse still feels that way towards you. (laughs) Nothing's different. You will find him in the condition you put him away in. You will find your soul most of the time in the condition in which you put it away in, which you went to bed in. So the better question is, and this just to begin along, you know, we're getting into a series here, but let's be practical for a few moments. What do I do in the evening? Well, somewhere towards what would be the last half of the evening, not the last five minutes, not the quick moment before or even after brushing my teeth, but somewhere towards the last half of my consciousness. (laughs) I'm talking about when I still have faculty of reason and presence of mind. I'm not watching anything. I'm not reading anything. I am intentionally settling into... The presence of God in my home. I'm settling into my own state of being. And what Stacy and I will do is we will worship. We will put on... And it may just be one song, we'll do it. Uh, it may require more to just begin to settle down, not rock and roll worship. This will be quiet worship. And then we do the evening session from 30 days. And I'm at the point now where I've been through the program You know, obviously several times. So I just cherry pick and just go, oh, wow, that the day 23 evening session is really good. I'm gonna go back to that one. You know, we'll just play an evening session and we will then do our bedtime prayer. And our bedtime prayer is a very structured thing. It's not, you know, Jesus, we love you. Please give us a good night's sleep. It is, I release the world to you. I release, you know, we go through a very systematic procedure of letting things go, of distancing ourselves from other people in their warfare, shutting down the warfare against us. By the way, some of that can be found on the app in the bedtime prayer. And then I just sit there. When that's done, I just sit there, sit on the porch, sit in the living room, and just give my soul Sabbath. I allow my mind and my heart to just Do nothing. And then I go brush my teeth. And then I go to bed. And so when I wake up in the morning, I kind of pick up from there, right? And do you see, like, what a different... Oh, yeah, man. Mindset, that is?
1: Tapping into the deep parts of how human beings work. so much in there. I feel like I want to tell people all the way through... If you try to live like John Eldridge right away, you will sprain your soul. <laughs> you will give yourself a bum knee of the heart, and you are not ready. <laughs> and, but there are some, like, fundamental principles there to start practicing. One of them you mentioned, you know, the monks are all big on statio, just the idea that you just don't do two things back to back. It's not good for the soul. We talked about transition a lot. You just... Worship and brush teeth and then don't dive into bed, just give it a second. But man, so huge on this one. There's a concept that, you know, I'm I'm obviously a neuroscientist, so I know all about this stuff. Just kidding, but I do like reading their blogs. And you know, sleep is important because it's when the renovation goes on in your brain. Oh my
0: gosh, it is so healing. You just got to,
1: right? Picture all the construction workers going out after the wrecking ball of the modern world has gone back and forth through your brain, and they're like, okay, how much of this can we clean up in seven hours? And put stuff together, and so they've found that the last thing, this concept is neurogenesis, and which I've stumbled into through listening, reading to some of the other rule of life nerds Kudos to people like John Mark Comer for me, but the last thing that we think about at night and the first thing that we think about in the morning are hugely important to the kind of brain that we develop, you know? So, and you can imagine, it's like you tell yourself the most important thing about the world before you fall asleep. You wake up thinking about the most important thing. And so, people, if it's Get one more text in or get the kids down and then just collapse into bed. What Emma and I had to realize, I was like, what are we doing to our brains when we have a young son who has just major gut issues? So most nights, it's just stress hormones and carrying him and he's crying and he finally falls asleep and My body is in just endorphin, cortisol, oh, stress mode. And then I'm going to fling myself into bed and then wake up to something very similar. What am I doing to my nature? Yes. You know, if, if I were to roll out a more beginner version, my version of how I begin practicing the principles that you're talking about, it's like, yeah, Hours before bed. Let's say just an hour, you enter the technology-free zone. It yep. just yep. bare minimum 60 minutes. And then we have young kids, so we get our kids down, and then we M comes down, and it's cleaning the kitchen, and it's our connect time. But a major thing for us was just deciding we go oh, to bed at 10. And what that really means is we go upstairs at 9.30 – and if at finally people know, and we live a pretty communal life. So, our hurdle was convincing our friends no, really, I will walk out in the middle of your story just to go upstairs because these parts of my rule are so important. Yes, they are. So, obviously, there's fudge room, but more often than not, we hit. we are, Em and I are going upstairs so that we have enough time after brushing our teeth. Then we pray. And then Em had an idea years ago. Let's just have our last thing be. She calls it the prophetic two minutes. Just two minutes. Lie in bed and ask Jesus, what do you want to remind us? What do you want us to see? What do you want us to go to bed thinking about? Yes. And then we'll swap notes and— M always sees some beautiful expression of, you know, the Eden heart of God extended over the world. It's very <laughs> amazing. I'm usually pretty tired at this point. So it's like, yeah, I just kind of felt the peace of God. And that's what I'm going to go with. I'm out. Yeah. Um, but just to go, man, what you, mm. what is, is fascinating to ask people this question. What, is, what, what do you go to bed thinking about? What are the last two, three things that you do? Mm. And what is the first thing that you do in the morning? Because you are training your
0: biology to treat the world as a particular kind of place. Yes, exactly. So what is a rule of life and why does it work? How do we name a rule of life for people? Yeah, thanks for kicking that one over here. It's
1: not complicated. I was talking about this with a couple church planters, and one of them was said, oh, man, we're doing this as we're trying to figure out how to get our people through the time. This is what we've converged to, too. And they just used the straight-up Latin name of a trellis. like So, you know, rule a Trellis? A trellis. So, in terms of language, a rule goes back to a trellis that you make that you tie in this a vine to, or so that to protect it from disease, to make it fruitful. So, it's just the structure,
0: you know, is what the word is that you attach a plant to, kind of like to a garden fruitful. trellis, like a garden trellis. Yeah, that you want your beautiful climbing rose, or yeah, to Ex- go up your night blooming jasmine. Or, yeah. Exactly, it needs. A structure.
1: Got it. It's sturdy, somewhat flexible, but sturdy. So I pulled together a couple of definitions. Here is Andy Crouch's. is a short, a set of practices to guard our habits and guide our lives. Stephen Mackey, a little longer. A holistic description of the spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships that create, redeem, sustain, and transform. So let's just have that the second one again. It's a holistic description of the spirit empowered rhythms and relationships that create, redeem, sustain, and transform.
0: Spirit empowered rhythms. Okay, that's really good. Margaret Gunther's an Anglican
1: spiritual director. She says, A rule of life is basically a spiritual budget. (laughs) And. A great way of thinking of that. I have a certain amount of things that I can put my soul into.
0: What will what will I do? Okay, I gotta grab that one. That's transformative. That works for people. A spirit a budget of the soul. <laughs> it's just huge. Okay. I got so much. I only have so much. So where am I going to spend it? And then particularly, how am I going to not go into bankruptcy every day, right? (laughs) Just every day people are throwing themselves into spiritual debt.
1: Isn't it? And and we know where those limits are intuitively. If we were to ask someone, hey, you know, your brother-in-law just is dying to connect. Do you have time for a phone call today? Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, and also actually your old friend wants to connect after that. Could you do that meeting too? Yeah, I think I could do that. And your mom is waiting to hear back from you. Oh, man, I guess I could do that. This is
0: beginning to pile up. If it's, All right, so we're at, we're at three
1: significant interactions, right? We're at three, and then it's, oh, and by the way, your mom's birthday was last week, and you forgot. And so if you could also, if you have time before you come home, to call her. And by the way, when you get home, your kids are really going to want some of your attention. They have really,
0: and all of a sudden, you're just, what's, what's your budget, folks? There it is. This is so helpful. What's your budget? Your rule of life is your budget for your soul. right? And
1: the great thing, if we're going to use this metaphor, is that, you know, a great budget eventually accounts for inflows and outflows. You know, my boy JMC calls these upstream and downstream practices, right? And so if you're like, man, if I'm going to have those three significant interactions today. Like, I can do that, but tomorrow I'm going to do more Sabbath. I'm going to do more something. And so the foundation of the rule is experiencing God, is the inflow before we get to how many things can you realistically do, a lot less than you're doing right now, just for sure, I just know. But the foundation is actually like what is a day that is structured to be full of the love of God
0: exactly.
1: look like? And it will look really different for different people. You've talked about this at length, finding God in the things that you love. I have to tell people, you know, morning quiet time is a, pretty much a gold standard. There are more than one way to do that. Yes. And if you are more like me, and you try to sit quietly and read the Bible and pray, you will die. So it would be like, it will be better. You know, I do a brief journal that I do, and then walk, get outside, sense of nature, or is it music? Like, yes. Um, I just love asking people, where do you experience God? Where do the lights come on for you and it feels easy
0: mm.
1: because we're supposed to experience God in everything, but some of it is very challenging. So mm. we do it mm. like exercise. Some of it doesn't even feel like work. It's mm. just fun. Mm. And we go, yeah, we're we're starting to structure. What do you do in the morning? Okay. What do you do in the middle of the day? What do you do in the evening? So that you're leaving the tank metaphor for how do you get full in that morning prayer time and then yes. collapse into the evening Yes, for like, How do I set up some— More like a trellis. More like a trellis. What is the—what's the next
0: piece? That's upholding me through the day. I like that. And I like it that you just mentioned morning, noon, and night, because I think, beginners, we all started with some idea of morning. You know, I'm going to read my utmost for his highest. Uh, Right? Right. Good old (laughs) Oswald Chambers. And and, uh, for years, that was great for me. But then I started needing more. And realizing, oh, but just morning, you know, devotion, whatever that looks like, not enough. And so we add evening, right? Some sort of something, some sort of bedtime prayer, some sort of, you know, scripture reading in the evening. So we add that, but then we find, oh, actually, by about 10 a.m., I'm already spun up. I'm already shot. Like I am, either the world has me or I'm in a real battle with it. And so come noon, I started realizing what I do with my lunch break is massive in terms of the trellis. Is there a bar of my trellis there? Yes. That I can lean on, that I can tie to, that will provide additional support through the day, right? And just changing what I changing what I do with lunch now to find God again. In my days in the building, many is the hour that
1: John Eldridge is walking laps around the building. (laughs) That's true. As kind of like the deliberate statio as the... Yes. So I think a really important thing just to name, and it's fascinating, I can't really tell where our friends are listening. Like, is this still a really hard sell or are we stoked about the fact that you are going to exchange... The way you're living right now, like if the promise at the store where you bought your lifestyle was you will have week over week, month over month, a bigger capacity to give and receive love, like would you be like, man, it's awesome. It's totally working. I'm so happy and just loving God and, you know, uh, I'm bearing fruit as the love of many is growing cold, like the trees in the orchard, man. It says that it's going to be harder. You can just see people just withering and the leaves falling. And then right in the middle of that orchard, there's flowers (laughs) and oranges and birds. Who's that woman? Who is that woman? Who is that guy? Yes. And be like, would you take it back to the store and be like, give me a different life. When we talk about narrow is the gate and few find it, it just means like there's a pretty narrow way to live. But in time, you learn it, and it starts to work. Benedict has an amazing line on that. But as we talk about experiencing God, what I want to name is people have created these basic buckets, right? Because your whole life goes into your rule, not just set up a better structure for your devotional time. But it's like experiencing God. Shaping your mind and imagination, like the whole body, soul, and spirit, the entirety of your humanity, cultivating your body, engaging your relationships, resting, work, money, hospitality, that is all a part. I have friends, uh, two different church movements, different denominations, and I asked them for their workbook because they were doing that. And they were very similar because the consensus across two millennia of following Jesus is that there are basically these buckets. Like, how do you rest your soul in God? Great. What do you tend to think about? You know, I'm someone who needs input or I feel like I'm dying. But, you know, the stories—I told you this recently—our brains start to resemble— In their structure, the brains of the people who tell us stories. Yuri Hassan, for you nerds, is the Princeton neuroscientist to go look at. But to go, I mean, if we still have to tell you to get off the news, I just don't know where you've been for the last 10 years. Don't let that shape your imagination. Find something else. This podcast is a great place. It's only once a week. You're going to need, like... You need your daily. what what, What do you take in and then... A body, like, not for nothing, I can't tell you how many blogs I've read on great creatives that kind of boil down how free of distractions their space and their schedule is. So their space is very uncluttered, their schedule's very uncluttered. And then one of the other gold standards is they all take a walk every single day. Like, physical capability permitting— they walk one mile or yes. more. Some
0: of them walk much more. Isn't this fascinating? This is true for millennia. I mean, this goes way back. I've read some of those. Yeah. Yeah, what do highly productive people do? Exactly. Highly, and it, it is that. It is the walk each day. I know. I'd be like, you know,
1: you at whatever god-awful hour have always got up and disappeared onto the hill to pray for 40 days or whatever it is. It's a long time. It's like an hour. And then in the middle of the day, you're disappearing into the forest. Like, these things... Are there, you know, people? If you'd like to have the wisdom of John Eldridge, live the life of John Eldridge for a decade. That's how you get it. Um, but just these these major pieces. So we're like the rule is the deliberate in that word holistic yes. expression of budget is when you really lay out in the core categories. What will I do? One of the best questions Emily ever asked me. We had just gotten engaged, and she sat me down and said, "Okay." Who are the people that you are most called to tell me about your relational world? Because we're kind of merging relational worlds. And and they're not all going to fit. I'm like an extroverted person. I love overcommitments. So I can have this huge, sprawling, not really yes. fruitful relational world. And to like narrow that down to be like, who are the two or three people mm. That are important to me in this season, and a rule fills up fast, man. Where like, I'm like, okay, Emily, I need some time with Emily. My young kids, I need time in a few different kinds of buckets of time with my young kids. Well, by then, most of my time is spoken for.
0: Yeah, the it, bu- the budget's almost spent, there. and so
1: I'm like, okay, well, I have a couple of close friendships that it's important that like a, a weekly touch point. And so a couple guys and I take an evening sauna together uh, once a week, and it's kind of our
0: right now budgeted time. But see, that's, that's you're chicken several boxes there. You've got body. You've got stillness. You've got relationship all going right. on there. They do sauna. start to overlap. Yeah. yeah, it's so healthy. You know, friends, you have got... You have help with this. I just want to pause and just bring some breath and some grace to this. It would be very easy over the course of several weeks to just ask God, okay, Lord, so what goes? What goes? What, what do I just need to begin to let go of? And what would you like me to begin to take up? You could just start there, friends. You you have God who knows your soul. He knows your life. He knows you're crazy. I I mean, your crazy world. He knows knows you're crazy, but he knows knows the madness of the world around you and all that it's asking. So he's not going to say, quit your job, move to the mountains, live in the desert, build a hut. You know, he knows, he understands, but he will begin to introduce things to you. We're going to a retreat and this retreat requires no technology which is really brutal and really awesome. It's just amazing how utterly, utterly tied to our phones we are. And that friend was saying, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to check my stocks. And I just thought to myself, you, you check your stocks multiple times a day on your phone? Do you, that's messed up, dude. Yeah, man. Like, that, that's messed up, folks. Like, you, What has your attention? What, what has your preoccupation? I mean, just ask on. Jesus, okay, I want to get started. I need to, I need to begin to transform my current rule of life, because you have one, folks, for a better rule of life that will produce better results.
1: Oh, yeah. That, that gentle tone you're bringing is vital, which I just like hang a few things on there. And I would say, you know, it will probably take about six months before you get to the alpha version. You know, before a few things have changed. Yeah. It will take six months to a year before you begin to experience the relief that you're after there. Though there are always some, you know, early hits that are great. And then that whole go easy, spiritual director Margaret Gunther, she has a thing that she calls first day of Lent syndrome, which is where people get convicted. And so the next day they try to live the rule of St. Benedict and they actually hate it. They don't (laughs) like it. And so they return to the mean. There is nothing like setting up a timeline or expectations that are unrealistic. Yes, Life together, Bonhoeffer goes, you know, the greatest danger to the disciple of Jesus living in community is not fascism, you know? It's not the decline of modernity. It's unrealistic expectations. No, he called it idealism. I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to live a rule, and I'm going to feel so good. love people. I'm just going to be so (laughs) loving. I mean, when (laughs) Dallas Willard talks about learning the discipline of love, he says, start with someone you don't know very well. It's a lot easier. It's great (laughs) advice. But we would just say, you know, you're saying, Jesus, what do you want me to start engaging in I would just say, you know, I was given the great piece of advice, start where you are. Start where you are, not where you're convinced that you should be. Yeah. And so, you know, you begin to edit out a few things. You and you just you're not adding, you just begin to replace a few things and you know, the one hour time with God, listen to Morgan. He's like what people don't know is that actually becoming a king is a rule of life spiritual formation book but just you know yes, it for is. bow hunters and it's awesome yeah but he's discovered too there is a gold standard there and mother teresa's and henry Now or whatever you know an hour a day yeah i can't do an hour a day i start to go crazy exactly and exactly. so it's like okay how about 5 minutes like can you sit up in the morning you know, do the one minute pause, do the resilient app, or just take a minute, breathe in, notice that God is with you, read a psalm. If you're me, write down three things and really soak in each one that you're like, that you're grateful for, that you saw God give you. And then, boom, done. It's five minutes later. And then you can grab your coffee and be late to work again. But just like, it is worth it. To take the time, and it takes a lot of time to switch trajectories and ease your way in the direction. Yeah,
0: easy does it, folks. Don't don't try and do this in a day. Don't try and, yeah, renovate the house in a weekend.
1: I mean, you just learned Don Eldridge's evening routine, so people are stoked right now, and they're like, <laughs> babe— Tonight, after dinner, and we're going to eat dinner together because, you know, John and Stacey Aldridge do that, and then they play a game together, you know, just keeping love alive, and then they worship for a long time and be like, I just don't think you'll like it. I think you'd find it really hard. It's Easy does it, folks. It's great to want to get there. Yes. But if you can just commit to turning your phone off an hour— and don't put it away somewhere on silent mode. Figure out how to turn off your phone. Yes, which
0: yes. Isn't, a lot of people don't know how to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> yes, yes. The, it, the button is on the is on the upper right, and you hold it down. Yeah, you gotta for, hold it down, and but <laughs> you know, one of the fascinating things that is going on in my own soul right now is, why does it feel like loss? Why does it feel like, oh man, you're you're asking me to just experience more loss in my life. I love my TV shows. I I love my gummy bears in the evening. I love, whatever it is, right? The third glass of wine that you shouldn't have. Like, you're just asking me, to experience loss. And you talk a little bit about what the world is driving you towards. Yeah. The, the world is your enemy, folks. The madness all around you, what you think are people's normal life, okay, is not <laughs> friendly. You are in hostile territory. Oh, you are.
1: It's C.S. Lewis and the screw tape letters where the elder demon, screw tape writing to Wormwood you know, says, you would think given the centuries of Christian warnings about the world that people would have a pretty healthy regard for its dangers. But he says, really, in the, in the 20th century, people have stopped talking about it. And then, you know, because he's a demon writing, he's like, I do see some about mammon, more than I like, <laughs> but I see nothing about the value of time. The selection of
0: friends. You brought in this quote by Eugene Peterson. The devil specializes in three things, hurry, crowds, and noise. If he can keep us involved in muchness and manyness, he will be satisfied. It's the world. It's the world. It's the gravitational (laughs) suction of the world. Right. And so... What people need to
1: know is that the fight is not fair and that the radical departure from the world that we're talking about here is so challenging. It's a brilliant philosopher, ethicist, Tristan Harris, who started a thing called the Center for Humane Technology, the entire purpose of which was to tell people the game is not fair. This is called an asymmetry of power. The world knows things about you and how your body works and how people tend to make choices that you don't know. And they use that to give you the rule of life that they want you to have so that you'll buy when they want you to buy. Your people without a rule are very easily manipulated. There's a great line which is the opposite of contemplation is not activity, it is reactivity. Mm. And I don't think that's true. <laughs> you just go, where'd you get that? Yes. Right? And so you just Dear need to God. know some of these things. You know, you're talking about, well, one of my things, man, I love the five-minute YouTube video. And if we go to my YouTube channel right now, you're going to see homesteading videos, sketch comedy, workouts. And actually, inside of my rule— This is one of those things that I keep going less and less, no and no. But the gaming system, so they call this the race to the bottom of the brainstem, which is how can we pull more and more primal levers? Like if I tell you, you should move over there. I'm making an appeal to, you know, a center of your brain of what you have, an incredible amount of authority. If I all of a sudden jump out and yell, ah, and you move – I actually – you didn't make any decision. I just appealed to a part of your biology, to a part of your brain of which you have no authority. And so, for example, we all know this by now that the internet is structured on gambling mechanisms. And so the great gift of casinos to the internet was telling them how to control people. So if you pull up YouTube, do this later. Uh, It doesn't go from a white screen to videos. It does these placeholders where the video in the description is going to be. It's a gambling mechanism where it shows you all the fields, like empty spots on a scratch ticket, and then ding, 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 they start to get populated, and you see what you got. And it, you get an incredible dopamine hit that goes down over time, but it's an addictive rush. And so we have to say the world and the flesh and the devil working together it would be hard enough if we didn't have habits, right, from living in a fallen world, if we didn't have habits that took us away from good things. But many of those habits are actually institutionalized as good things in the world. Yes. And then built in a ways to be as addictive and primal as possible. Just, so just one more quote here. This is from the writer Andrew Sullivan who was one of the early adopters of the real-time blogging platform. This is the Huffington Post business model of how do you serve someone a new something every 20 minutes so they get another hit so that they stay, they keep clicking, you can show them more ads. And he went to a digital detox center, uh, a Catholic silence retreat, and... You know, he had grown up in the Catholic Church, but longtime atheist. But over the course of this retreat, he begins to just remember these other parts of his humanity. And he says this, The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith Is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. Okay, read it again. The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable. Disproved faith. Right. Yeah. But because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. Yes. Right? And this is the, you know, Henry Nowen's, without silence, we cannot follow Jesus. Yes. He's like, you cannot. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus without silence. And you just think in that one, well, let's assume you already know that God is there. And you're beginning to believe that he's your father and he's good and he loves you. Life is so frustrating Most of us have some kind of regular experience of like, what are you doing? But we do that, what are you doing in a car as things are speeding by and billboards and we're listening to music and we're inside an overdeveloped schedule like Elijah's, what are you doing was like landslide, earthquake, silence, silence, and then the voice of God. Mm. And so this is just so helpful to go, there is a deliberate war on silence, a deliberate war. We've talked so much about the battle for your attention, but it's not just your attention. It's not the attention economy. It is the battle to control the entirety of your humanity by using the levers over which you have the least direct influence. The primal reactions. The bottom of the brainstem, right? They don't – And so, here's Andrew Sullivan's observation. Ready? He goes, The English Reformation began, one recalls, with an assault on the monasteries. And what silenced the Protestants didn't banish, the philosophers of the Enlightenment mocked. Gibbon and Voltaire defined the Enlightenment's posture toward the monkish from condescension to outright contempt. The roar and disruption of the Industrial Revolution violated what quiet still remained until modern capitalism made business central to our culture and the ever more efficient meeting of needs and wants our primary collective goal. We became a civilization of getting things done, with the development of America in some ways as its crowning achievement. Silence in modernity became, over the centuries, an anachronism, even a symbol of the useless superstitions we had left behind. The smartphone revolution of the past decade can be seen in some ways as the final twist of the ratchet in which those few remaining redoubts of quiet, the tiny cracks of inactivity in our lives, are being methodically filled with more stimulus and noise. If the churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation.
0: Okay. So again, folks, I know, I know. I'm literally rocking back and forth in, this, in my chair right now trying to self-soothe. <laughs> okay. Okay gently, slowly, Jesus, what should I lay down? What should I take up? But that last piece about if there is no stillness and silence in your life, that would be a great place to begin. Paul has this fascinating description of the corruption of humanity when he says, and having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. Okay. You know what? It, it's, it's the sensitivity. I just got to the place where I'm like, stop stimulating me. Damn it stop it. Like I just like the, you know, the billboards went digital and there's flash, flash, flash at you, new images and all that. I just got to the place where I'm like, stop it, stop. I don't want to be regularly stimulated. I don't. And as your soul begins to move out of the debased back towards God, your sensitivity will guide you and go, yeah, yeah, no, that's too much. Yeah, yeah, no, don't want that. Like you, you will actually begin to want what is good for your soul. And that is a lovely condition to be in.